We're avid fans of reading aloud. We do it for connection. We do it for academic purposes. We do it because we love our kids. We love stories. And we know it's one of the greatest gifts we can give our children. But what impact does reading aloud have on a child's brain structurally, physically? We're talking about it today on this episode of the Read Aloud Revival. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McKenzie, homeschooling mama of six and author of The Read Aloud Family and Teaching from Rest. As parents, we're overwhelmed with a lot to do. It feels like every child needs something different. The good news is you are the best person to help your kids learn and grow, and home is the best place to fall in love with books. This podcast has been downloaded 7 million times in over 160 countries. So if you want to nurture warm relationships while also raising kids who love to read, you're in good company. We'll help your kids fall in love with books and we'll help you fall in love with homeschooling. Let's get started. Today, I've got a special guest here, Dr. John Hutton, who is a pediatrician and the director of the Reading and Literacy Discovery Center at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. His research will shed some light for us on what happens in our children's brains when we read aloud to them, what physically, structurally happens as seen on an MRI. It's kind of amazing. (laughs) Before we get there, though, it's the end of February, which means we are knocking on the door of spring. As I look out the window and see it does not look anything like spring, you know, for some of us who live where it's super cold, we're not really knocking on anything yet. But spring is around the corner, they tell us, even if it doesn't quite look like it outside your window. Uh, You know, one of my very favorite things to do at the beginning of a new season is tell you about what's coming next in our family book clubs and WOW Writers on Writing workshops and all of our lineup at RAR Premium. RAR Premium is our online community that helps your kids fall in love with books and helps you fall in love with homeschooling. We do this through monthly family book clubs. They're excellent for kids of all ages uh, and, and a mama book club that we do once a season. And then writing workshops taught by published authors because we love to learn the art and craft of writing and teach our kids the art and craft of writing from writers themselves. And then also through our, this is probably our community's favorite resource. It's called Circle with Sarah and Member Huddles. These happen on the first Friday of each month. They're professional development for your homeschool. Basically, we make one degree shifts in our homeschools to help us create the homeschooling life we want for our families. Now, I'll tell you, just recently, I got a note from Amy Reasoner. She's a longtime member of RAR Premium, and she said, quote, this community is seriously the best money we spend on our homeschool. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for that, Amy. Now is a great time to join RAR Premium because we're launching into our spring lineup. So our family book club novel for spring is The Year of Miss Agnes by Kirkpatrick Hill. 
Let me tell you, you are going to love this book about a teacher who comes to a one-room schoolhouse in remote Alaska. It's going to fire all of your juices about learning for this spring. I mean, what is not to love about a teacher whose very first task is to throw away all the textbooks and read Robin Hood to her students instead? Oh, yes. It just gets better from there. It's a great read aloud for the whole family. It's short. It's lively. I think you're going to love it. Of course, we'll have a family book club guide to go along with that family book club. In March, our family book club selection is It Began With a Page, which I think honestly is pretty nearly perfectly executed as far as picture book biographies go. This one tells the story of Gyo Fujikawa, an American illustrator of Japanese descent. You'll get a little something in this picture book biography for all ages. Your younger kids will love it and all the illustrations of darling little chubby babies. And um, the back matter is something you don't want your older kids to miss. Lots of historical references and some really good tie-ins there. So the author, Kyo McClear, will come to RAR Premium at the end of March to answer your kids' questions all about It began with a page. Our April Family Book Club selection is this exquisite new picture book I got a sneak peek of. Oh, you're just going to love it. It's by one of our favorites, Barb Rosenstock. She's been here on the podcast. She's been in RAR Premium lots of different times. (laughs) Uh, This one's illustrated by Mary Grand Prix, who is best known for her illustrations of the U.S. Harry Potter books. So, you know, you've seen her illustrations before. (laughs) This book is called Mornings with Monet, and it is officially my favorite picture book about Monet. We're going to get a chance to meet Mary Graham Prey, the illustrator, and ask her about what it was like to illustrate Monet's work, which she needed to do <laughs> for this picture book. And um, and we've also got some special chalk pastel lessons where your kids will get to paint their own Monet-inspired work. It's all going to be in the Family Book Club Guide and at our Illustrator Access event where we get to talk to the illustrator herself. So that's going to be really wonderful. And then in May, our Family Book Club selection is Nature's Friend, the Gwen Frostick story. Now, this tells the true story of a Michigan-based artist, Gwen Frostick. Uh, This one has so many nature study connections. We're going to get to meet the author, Lindsay McDivitt. And then, because this book is just begging for nature study, as is our spring novel, The Year of Miss Agnes, that one also has so many nature study connections, we've invited Cindy West to come do a literary nature study workshop with us with tie-ins to our book clubs. Seriously, you guys, so good. I'm so excited about this. It's going to be great. I cannot wait. And that's going to be for kids of all ages. So whether you've got six and, you know, five, six, seven-year-olds, or you've got teenagers, you're going to want to join in for that. It's going to be so good. You've heard me say before on the show uh, how much our RAR premium families love our program called WOW, Writers on Writing. And this is because kids love to learn the art and craft of writing from real writers, right? This season, we have Jonathan Rogers coming to teach our 10 to 16-year-olds how to show, don't tell in their writing. And that's something they're going to hear about their writing probably forever. Show, don't tell. What does that mean? How do we do it? Well, Jonathan Rogers is going to teach us how. And then Poet Irene Latham is coming to teach our 7 to 14-year-olds how to write a nonet poem. 
so fun. This is a form, uh, a poetic form that will be so much fun. This class is going to be a lot of fun, and it might surprise your kids at how poetic they can be. <laughs> it's going to turn poetry on its head for your kids, I think, because these, these nonettes are just a lot of fun. Irene's got a whole book of them, and she's going to teach us a workshop on writing our own. I'll tell you, we've been told more times than we can count that RAR Premium is the best part of homeschooling. We think you'll agree. So to join us for this excellent spring lineup, which will definitely be the best part of your homeschooling spring, uh, you want to go to rarpremium.com. You'll find the calendar there, the lineup there. And also when you join, you get access to every recording and book club we've done before. rarpremium.com to get the good stuff. Dr. John S. Hutton is a pediatrician and director of the Reading and Literacy Discovery Center at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. His research involves exploring the effect of the home reading environment and screen-based media on early brain development using MRI and is the first to document relationships with brain structure and function prior to kindergarten. He's also the founder of Blue Manatee Press and is a pioneer in developing children's books for pediatric health literacy promotion and early literacy screening. Now, here at Read Aloud Revival, we're all big fans of reading aloud, of course, but today I'm especially excited to talk to Dr. Hutton about what happens in our kids' brains when we read aloud to them. Dr. Hutton, welcome to Read Aloud Revival. Thank you very much, Sarah. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. Well, I first heard about you and your work uh, from Megan Cox Gurdon's book, The Enchanted Hour, The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction. And Megan's been a guest here on our show before in episode 130. I just loved talking to her. I really enjoyed her book. And in her book, she talked about some research you've done on what happens in the brains of children when they hear age-appropriate stories read aloud. And of course, like I mentioned to you before we started recording, you know, we know there's tons of benefits of reading aloud with our kids. Most of the families that are listening to this show already do it a lot. But I would love to dive in with you on that brain science. So wondering if you can describe a bit of your research for us, maybe tell us in layman's terms, if you can, <laughs> what happens in our children's brains when we read to them. Yeah, I mean, it's a really important topic. And I, I like to say that um, a lot of what we're doing at Cincinnati Children's, um, which is really a great, great place to do this work, um, is using really, really fancy high-tech methods to verify the obvious. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that that we've done using MRI, which you know, big, uh, fancy, expensive machines, is is really um, just to make the case that that whatever you know, grandparent and so many teachers and parents already know, which is reading to kids as young as possible, as often as possible, is really good for them, and can really help shape their brains to to not only learn to read but to love reading and to um, you know, to go on and, and um, have wonderful imaginations and success in school and life. But really, when I got into the work, I came back to pediatric training after kind of wandering in the in the literary wilderness for a while, which is a longer story, in about <laughs> 2000, um, 2013. And my one of my first mentors named Dr. Scott Holland is a pioneer in using MRI to, to define sort of the language development in children. And as reading really is 
essentially a, a, a form of language. It's basically written language. There was sort of a natural synergy there to really use those same tools to look very closely at sort of, well, how does, you know, what, what, what's going on under the hood, you know, in young kids when they're learning to read and what things can we as pediatricians and, and teachers and others um, recommend to help make sure this process goes as smoothly as possible. Okay, so I'm interrupting a little bit, and I'll tell you why. Dr. Hutton is going to give us a lot of awesome information in this episode, really interesting information about what happens in our kids' brains when we read aloud. But it's handy first to understand how the brain reads at all, or what networks are firing when our kids are learning to read, or they're looking at words and decoding them or listening to a story. So before we dive in with Dr. Hutton on what his studies have shown about what reading aloud does or changes in our child's brains, he's going to explain a little bit about what's happening inside the brain just reading. What? How does the brain read? How does that actually <laughs> work? I wanted to point out a couple of things ahead of this segment. First of all, you're going to hear me mention the reading program I use to teach my kids how to read. And I have mentioned this here before on the show. This episode's not really a how to teach your kids how to read sort of episode, but because I know a lot of you are in this same stage and are interested in knowing what I use and like, I will tell you I use Orton-Gellingham methods. One is all about reading. The other is logic of English. The programs are very, very similar. I think you can just look at samples of either one and see which one you think probably fits more with your style of teaching and looks more interesting to you and your child. Um, Either of them will get you good results. I'll have links to both All About Reading and Logic of English in the show notes for you. And the other thing I wanted to mention was dialogic reading. And that's because in this interview, Dr. Hutton mentions dialogic reading, which is really just a fancy term for interacting with your child while you read. So talking with your child, pointing at things, interacting and having a conversation, asking questions and they answer them or they ask you questions and you answer them, engaging with the book and so that it becomes more than just something that you're reading at your child, but something you're reading with them. So dialogic reading, it's just a fancy word for cozy reading. Okay, here we go. And you know what? I just want to give you a heads up. You're going to find out that there is a lot happening in your child's brain when they're reading, especially when they're learning to read. It's giving me a whole new appreciation for what kinds of mountains I'm asking my child to scale (laughs) every time they sit down with me to do a phonics lesson or really even um, to enjoy a story. There's a lot happening under there when, when we're reading with our kids. All right. I'll stop talking so you can hear Dr. Hutton tell us about what happens in the brain. Reading is, is not something that, that humans are sort of naturally hardwired to know how to do. We have a lot of skills that, that are based in our brain that, that, are, that do have sort of existing networks like language and vision and executive function and attention. The amazing thing about it is that our, in, in order to figure out how to do it, our brains actually repurpose these other networks and basically fuses them together. It's been called neural recycling. You have to have the language network cooperate with the vision network and cooperate with the attention network. And, and all this really has to come together to form an efficient, what we call functional reading network, but it's not automatic. It really has to be, be trained to do that. You know, reading lots of stories, helping them, you know, to kind of figure out, you know, connect the pictures with the words, you know, the more that, that we're actually training these different parts of their brains to work together to eventually know how to read um, on their own. You know, the different parts of the brain that are involved with, with learning how to read sort of um, 
first you have to stimulate them independently. You know, um, so, so for example, language is the is the foundation of reading. I mean, reading is essentially a form of language. So first, your you know kids are developing conversation skills. They're talking talking about not just books, but just talking with caregivers and building up that language network. Then you know by sharing books, they start to kind of integrate that with with visual things like pictures and a story, and then eventually learn how to imagine scenes in a story. And they're bringing in their sort of imagery part of their brain and connecting that with language. And um, and then attention, you know, just the more practice kids have, the more they can pay attention to stories. And then that part of their brain kind of connects with with language and vision. And, and when kids are are learning, it's it's not as quite as automatic. You know, I mean, they're still having to learn sight words and they're learning how to connect meaning of the story and and imagine scenes. But then the more they practice, the more efficient their brain gets. And eventually they're off to the races and reading stories by themselves and understanding what's going on. And, um, you know, that's how you kind of get from Goodnight Moon to Harry Potter. It's just a lot of practice kind of training these different parts of the brain to work together. One of the most, most common sources of reading difficulties is just underdeveloped language skills. And this tends to happen most often in kids that have less exposure to books and reading, less practice reading. But really one of the most powerful ways is just to expose them to more words, which you know we know books are such a powerful and, and rich source of that. Another common source of, of reading difficulties is um, what we call you know phonological skills. This is a part of the brain that's involved with sort of taking sounds apart and putting them back together. And we know that Certain times, part some of the, the connections in that part of the brain can be uh, less well developed, and these are the kids that struggle with sounds of words, so, and most commonly the kids that have what, what we call the classic dyslexia. So this makes a lot of sense to me, especially because um, you know, in a lot of programs that we use with our kids, I know the one that I use to teach my own kids to read is based on the Orton-Gillingham method, and and so there's you know these short phonics lessons that we do every day, like 10 or 15 minutes. And then, but the curriculum really recommends that you spend more time reading aloud to your child than you are working on the phonics. And I can kind of see this, how that both of those things are really important to get everything firing and and constantly growing. And um, because it sounds to me like, you know, if we focus too much on one or the other, just reading aloud and not helping our kids with that phonological awareness and understanding how words work together, how sounds work together to build words, uh, then they might be missing something that could make reading easier for them later on. But if we focus too much on the phonics and we're not reading aloud a lot, then we're, you know, we're missing another component that could make reading easier and more pleasurable later on. Does that sound right to you? That's brilliant. That's absolutely right. You know, there's the mechanics of reading, which is sort of, the, you know, what you said, the nuts and bolts of taking words apart and putting them back together. And then there's that sort of fluent, sort of more enjoyable aspect of reading. There's also the importance of, um, this is pretty interesting, uh, you know, the, the difference between sort of the phonological skills, which are sound-based, and the visual skills, um, like with sight words, for example. Um, and actually, another part of the reading network is that's really amazing is, um, you know, there's a part of the brain in the in the back in sort of the visual network, it's called the visual word form area. Through reading, train it to recognize words and letters. And it gets very, it, it, it's a very fast way. You know, when kids go from sounding out words, which is kind of slow, you know, they're kind of taking their time. I mean, they're having to sort of figure it out, but then eventually they're training that visual part of the brain to just recognize those words automatically. 
And that's when they get fast at reading. You know, they don't have to sound out the words as they go anymore. They just, you know, they're off to the races. We started um, really diving into to this research. Our first study came out in 2015, um, and it was um, really looking mostly at sort of what aspects in what we call the, the home literacy environment, which is um, basically four things. It's sort of access to books. You know, do you have books? Mm-hmm. You go to the library. Uh, frequency of reading, which is how often is a caregiver reading with the child, and then interest, um, you know, how interested is the child in being read to, you know, how interested is the parent in reading, and quality, sort of the interactivity around reading. And we really wanted to look at all these different aspects of that environment and how they relate to what's going on in children's brains when they're either listening to stories or reading stories. So the first study that came out, basically looking at a, a composite measure of home literacy environment, which is sort of a combination of, of how many books are at home and how often the family reads together. And then we had a group of kids that came in for MRI and they listened to stories in the scanner. It's called a story listening task, which is basically um, hearing a series of stories. And then as they're listening to them, the MRI scanner picks up really how essentially measures blood flow in the brain, supporting different parts of their brain, listening to story. And that connects with activity in the brain. But what the first study showed was you know, kids that were read to more often that had more books at home had stronger activation in the part of their brain during the story task that was involved with imagination and language. It was on the left side in the back, which is a, it's sort of a, a watershed area that connects visual parts of the brain with language parts of the brain. Okay. And one of the interesting things about that part of the brain lighting up was during this task, there's no visual stimulus at all. They're basically listening to the story. And the first question we said was, well, why are visual areas lighting up when kids are, hmm. are listening? Actually, the answer is they're imagining. You know, it's, their, <laughs> it's their, their visual imagery in their brain sort of bringing the story to life, which yeah. is very cool and suggested to us that, you know, kids that have more practice being read to at home, you know, have built up this part of their brain that's responding more strongly, you know, when listening to stories. And so we published this story and got a, a whole bunch of attention. It was, you know, in the New York Times and Time Magazine all over the place because it was really the first to show that you know, not only is reading to children good for them in terms of building skills, but it actually is related to measurable differences in their brain that supports reading and literacy at a pretty young age. These were all preschool age kids. Okay, I'm pausing my conversation with Dr. Hutton for a second to make sure that sinks in. Because basically what Dr. Hutton just said is that we can see on an MRI scanner based on where blood flows in the brain that Kids who are read to more often are better set up for literacy success later on. And it actually changes the structure and the way that their brain is making connections. We're going to get into that some more. He's going to talk about some more um, of his studies, especially as related to what happens when kids are looking at or listening to stories that have no pictures versus listening to stories that have pictures versus listening to a video story. So like a, like a show or an animated story or like one of those interactive stories that your kids can quote unquote read or be read to on an iPad. Um, so listen in for more on that. But I just wanted to take a moment to put a pin in that because that's kind of amazing. We all know that reading aloud makes an impact on our kids, but an MRI shows it too. It actually makes a physical difference. 
That's amazing to me. What happens when you kind of bring increasing amounts of visual stimulus into the equation, you know, during a story? So, so starting with audio, um, you know, okay. And, and the type of study we were looking at was a little bit different. It was, it was called a connectivity study okay. that's looking less at sort of what parts light up and more at sort of how they talk to each other. So we, we looked at particular networks, the language network, the visual network, the imagination network, and the attention network. And we wanted to see, well, how do these different networks sort of sync up during these different story formats? And we got three, three different books that were all by the same author, wonderful author named Robert Bunch, who you may have heard <laughs> of, Canadian. Yes. Everybody who's listening, you know his work because you, lo- you know I, I love you forever. I like you for always. We all know that one. <laughs> there you go. So, so he, um, the cool thing about his work is, is he actually has a website where he's read all of his stories um, aloud. So. In this, in the study, we wanted to kind of control for that to have all the study, all the books read by the same author. You know, the same kind of book, same reader. We wanted to control for that variable, so it wasn't the differences we found weren't weren't less likely to be related to like, well, this book is more interesting than that one. What we found in the different formats was that in the audio format, there was there was there was integration of the networks, but there was a little more evidence that there was more of a strain going on that the that the networks were having to kind of work a little bit harder to. To sort of connect, it, it's a little bit complicated, but the language network was straining more. There, there was more activity on both sides of the brain, which is something you see with um, w- with kids that have either lower abilities or, or or the content they're hearing is a little bit hard for them. Mm-hmm. But then with the illust- illustrated format, um, there was a really nice balance where all of a sudden you know the language network kind of got, seemed to be more efficient. There was there was a nice connections between language and visual um, imagination, and really it was this sort of optimal sort of balance between all these different networks during the story. But then amazingly, during animation, it was almost like the networks just kind of split apart. And, huh. and, all, and there was a big, a fairly anywhere from like a 50 to 80% drop in sort of how, how much they were talking to each other. And there was a real focus on the visual network. And, and the way we interpreted that is that during the anima- animated story, the, the stimulus was so visual and moving all over the place that the, the brain was really forced to sort of focus on the visual aspect without really as much engagement of the language or the imagination. And probably imagination was probably less important because the visual was just, was, was doing a lot of that work. There were two studies we did that, that found the same thing. One was more focused on the attention networks and one was more on the imagination networks. We sort of summarized the studies as, suggesting a, a Goldilocks effect where, um, you know, audio seemed a little too cold at this okay. age. Um, and then animation seemed a little too hot and, and illustrated storybooks were kind of just right. The reason being is that scaffolding question. It's like, it could be that during, not that audio books are bad at all, but just that they're just a little hard at that age because, you know, let's say a child is listening to an audio book and it says, you know, the, the rhinoceros went to Africa and the child's never seen a rhinoceros before or something. Then they kind of think like, what is that? And they're kind of wor- wondering. Meanwhile, the story keeps going. And, and so, so there's just a little more of that, that just, it's just harder. And right, their bank or of their knowledge of the world or their experience with different images or sort of their library of awareness of different things in the world is more limited until they get older, right? 
Exactly. That's exactly right. And and then the pictures just give them that little extra bit. So if it's a picture book and it says rhinoceros and there's a picture of rhinoceros, they're like, oh, that's what a rhinoceros is. And then, you know, from then on, they've kind of got that encoded, you know, that, um, and that's probably why kids love picture books at that age. It's just, they get little extra cookies here and there to kind of show them what's going on, but then their imagination takes it the rest of the way. Um, whereas in a, animation, there's a real tendency for the animation to do so much of the work that it sort of takes the child out of the equation. Um, not totally, but just you know reduces the amount of work they have to do. So really, our our take home message was we think that you know not that all animation is bad and it's you know whatever, but just, just at this age, it seems like those classic just picture books are probably the the, the best way to get these different brain networks talking to each other and sort of syncing up to support that process. Yeah, which makes sense also with, I think, when we just kind of watch what, how our kids naturally respond to, I mean, if we if we try to introduce, let's say, reading aloud a novel, like Little House on the Prairie or something, to a child who is younger than is really ready for it, who maybe doesn't have quite the visual bank in their, visual library in their mind of the images and um that they might need to call on to be able to imagine that well. Uh, we we can tell because they sort of get antsy. They're not really interested, you know. Um, and I can see it in my own kids. My, I'm thinking of my my seven-year-old twins, especially just at the moment. If they're watching a show, you can almost kind of see in their eyes like a, a glazed-over kind of ness. <laughs> I'm sure that's the scientific yeah. term. Um, that doesn't happen when we're reading a picture book. You know, that I, they're just – I can see it in their eyes. I think I can see a different kind of um, – attention or connectedness or something. Um, so it makes sense to me, just as a mother, it makes sense to me to say, oh, that's what's happening in their brains. When I'm reading some them something that doesn't have images, it's harder for them to call up the images themselves. Um, not impossible, but more work, right? And when I'm reading them something that has illustrations, they're able to really just take it all in. And I think what the thing, let me see, I, I underlined it in Megan's book. Um, when the children were listening to the story while looking at pictures, their brain networks were helping each other, reinforcing neural connections and strengthening their intellectual architecture, the delicate filaments of that floating sea creature. Their brain was just like making all those firing uh, connections. And I, I can tell that I can see it in my kids. So I I think I just feel like, you know, validated and being like, hey, you know, when we notice that thing about our kids that they're either getting fidgety or glazing over when they're staring at a screen for too long, <laughs> that's a thing. I mean, what, what you're seeing when you try to redirect a child, if they're watching TV and glazed over and you talk to them, you're like, hey, Michael, 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 yeah. it just takes a, a lot to get them yes. pushed off of that yes. and to get their their central network to redirect them. So that is actually those two networks operating in in real time. There's a maximum in neuroscience, um, neurons that fire together, wire together. So really, the more you practice anything, the stronger the neural circuits become through just, um, you know, more wiring or the wiring is um, is insulated more, it's a process called myelination, but essentially those those pathways get more efficient, faster, stronger. So the amount of reading does matter a lot, but but the other part that's, that's also important is the the quality, sort of sort of the interactivity around reading and, you know, mm. often called dialogic reading, where not only is the child being read to, you know, which is coming at them, but that the child's invited to participate in the story and that they're asking questions and they're talking and they're exercising the vocabularies. And 
our first study really really showed that you know more more stories more frequent um, certainly does seem to benefit the imagination areas of the brain. But then a, a second study where we looked more at the quality, you know, the amount of interactivity in a group of parents with their with their kids at the same age, these were four year olds. Um, we found that that those kids that had more interactive reading had a increased activity in a, in a different part of the brain on the left, but more involved with talking, um, more involved with the process of of using language and um, probably eventually with writing. It, it's a it's a composite. You know, the reading is such a nuanced thing where it's, there's a lot of factors that really are important. Andrew Putua from the Institute for Excellence in Writing will say when it comes to helping our kids be good writers later on, he'll say you can't get out what you didn't put in. <laughs> and so he's talking about how important it yeah. is for us to put in really good language because you can't expect your child to write eloquently or with good grammar and syntax and word choice and diction and all that if you haven't, you know, if they haven't had that language put into them over the years. So that makes sense to me. Interrupting my conversation with Dr. Hutton once more because I just wanted to mention that during my conversation with Dr. Hutton, something that kept standing out to me is how our own instincts as parents are basically proven by his scientific research, his medical research. And that really just helped me remember how important it is for us to trust our gut as moms and dads and caregivers of our children. Uh, you know, I mentioned when I was talking to Dr. Hutton that if I tried to read a really long narrative to my youngest kids, really young kids, especially if they're, you know, two, three, four, five, before they're really ready, before they have that bank or that library of images that they can call upon, then they're not really interested because they have they don't have what they need yet to uh, to create the visual imagery that goes along with that narrative text. But then if you read to them a picture book, they're all in, totally engaged. And then if we put our kids in front of something that's animated, I don't know if you've noticed it, but like I mentioned to Dr. Hutton, I can see my kids' eyes glaze over, almost like they're checking out on some level. So the fact that we notice this about our kids and then his research really shows that Speaking of the brain, what we can see in an MRI, we know that something is happening different in the brain based on whether or not our kids are fully engaged or not. So anyway, I just thought it was worth pointing out that it's worth following your gut. You know, when you're when you're watching your kids, if if you've got a child who is seems kind of disinterested when you're trying to read a longer text that doesn't have any illustrations, maybe you're trying to move into novels a little earlier than would be best for your child. And you can stick with picture books for a lot longer. And they're still going to get so much out of that. In fact, based on his research, it sure sounds like their brains are going to be firing on all cylinders when you pair really good narrative text with illustrations. So we say it all the time at Read Aloud Revival, you can't stay with picture books too long. There is nothing to gain from moving up to chapter books or novels 
early um, because usually the language, the the diction, the grammar and syntax of a picture book text is actually more elevated than that in a novel or chapter book. And so there's nothing that a novel can give your child that a picture book can't. So this is just one more vote (laughs) in the column of stick with picture books for longer. And especially if you're wondering, if you're starting to get concerned that you think, man, I wonder if I should be reading longer narrative text to my kids that's not illustrated. I hope, hope, hope that this episode is helping you see that your child's brain is firing on all cylinders even better when they're looking at illustrations and listening to you read aloud or listening to an audiobook. So good stuff here. We've said it on this show so many times that the best 10 minutes you can spend today is reading aloud to your kids. And and this episode, I think, helps remind us that not only are we going to see the relational benefits, not only might we see that our kids maybe calm down if they're having a rough time or it's a time of connectivity or enjoyment or delight or just a slower pace, it's actually changing the structure of our children's brains for the better. So if you want to do something that makes a tangible difference in your child's brain today, I would suggest grabbing a book, grabbing a kid or a few, and spending some time reading aloud together, especially from a picture book. Many thanks to Dr. John Hutton for taking time out of his very busy research schedule. If you want to read a little more about his work, you can find some descriptions of his research in Megan Cox Gurdon's book, The Enchanted Hour. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can also hear Megan talk about that book and the obstinate act of love that reading aloud is in episode 130 of the Read Aloud Revival. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. I love this part of the podcast because kids share the books that they've been loving lately. Hi, my name is Lene. I am almost 10 years old. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. My favorite book is Guts by Raina Tellmeyer. I like it because Raina learns to face her fears. Hi, my name is Bethany. I'm seven years old. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina. My favorite book is The Princess in Black and the Bath Time Battle. I like it because the stinky monster is so stinky. It's my favorite because the Princess Magnolia has a secret identity to turn into the Princess in Black. My name is Bogusha and I'm nine years old. I'm from Connecticut and I want to recommend a book by Kimberly Bradley, The War I Finally Won. This is a story about Ada who lived during the Second World War. She had a twisted foot, but it did not stop her from being herself. I enjoyed reading this book. Bye! Hi, my name is Ellie. I am eight years old, and I live in Fort Collins, Colorado. My favorite book is Wonder about Augie Pullman. Hi, my name is Mac. I live in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I'm six years old, and my favorite book is Children in the Chocolate Factory. Hi, my name is Poppy. How old are you? I'm five years old. Where, where do you live? In Fort Collins, Colorado. 
What is your favorite book that we just read? Adventures with Waffles. Hi, hi, I'm Anna. I am six years old. I live in Massachusetts. My favorite book is I Broke My Trunk by Mo Willems. And my favorite part is when the pig screamed at the elephant. Bye. What's your name? <laughs> Lindley. And how old are you, Lindley? Three. And what's your favorite book? Goldwyn the Goat. Goodwin the Goat by Don Freeman? Mm-hmm. And what do you like about the book? Um, right. That's the silly goat. Got it. Hopefully we washed it off of Andy River. Yes, that silly goat. And where are you from? From Colorado. In Colorado. Can you say bye? Bye. Do you want to say hello? Mm-hmm. Hi, sir. My, my name's Kiliana. in Colorado, and my favorite book is Good with the Goat by Don Freeman. Good when the Goat by Don Freeman. And what do you like about the book? Um, that he got uh, that the, that that Goodwin got colorful, and then he 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 noted a shortcut nearby that. He took a rush, and all the colors came off of him because he plays with Miss Bip's paint colors. And how old are you, Keely? Four. Thank you. Oh, girls, thank you so much for both of you telling me about Goodwin the Goat by Don Freeman. I know Don Freeman's work because of, of course, Corduroy, but I've never, ever seen Goodwin the goat. So I am going to go find it and get it and read it. Thank you for the book recommendation. Hi, my name is John. I am eight years old. I live in Seattle and my favorite book right now is Mrs. Piggle Wiggle because it's about teaching kids lessons. Hi, my name is Edith and I live in Seattle. My favorite book is Matilda. I like it because it because I like the teacher and how she how she's like so interesting and how she like has that house. I like my the little girl how Matilda can how can she can move things with her little with her mind. And how old are you, Edith? Five. Ah, you like Miss Honey, don't you, Edith? So do I. Do you know, Matilda was probably my own favorite book when I was growing up. And I don't think I was as young as you. I think I was a little older than you when I first read that book. And Miss Honey was my favorite part of that story, too. So I bet you and I have similar taste. Thank you, kids, for all of your book recommendations. I love hearing what books you're loving. So... Don't forget that our spring lineup is right around the corner. You can see all the good stuff, what we've got coming up in family book clubs and WOW Writers on Writing Workshops and truly the best of what we do here at Read Aloud Revival. It's all at rarpremium.com. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode for you. But in the meantime, you know what to do. Go make meaningful connections with your kids through books. 